Jesus loves us becomes this, this deposit that, that starts as just a belief, but it is much more than that. As we believe that, we believe as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and as we believe and He invades our life, He actually gives us the Holy Spirit, which takes root in our life. That love takes root in our life, it says, in Ephesians, and it grows into something. And we've been talking about that this summer with this series called Love Is. And we started out from the bulk of the summer looking at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. And looking at all these ideas of what, what, what actually is love. And we're talking about love all the time. What is love? Right? Everybody agrees that love is important. But not everybody agrees on how we apply that and what it looks like to love people. Right? And then last week, we looked at from John from Jesus's the night before he dies on the cross for our sins because he loves us. He had a meal with his disciples. And he, he, he makes this claim. He says, like, love is now going to be your mission. He literally says it like this in John 13. He goes, my disciples, my little children, he calls them. He says, from now on, I, want, I got a new commandment for you, a new mission for you. That you love one another like I have loved you. Love one another is our mission. Today we're going to look, if you can turn in your Bibles to Acts, we're going to finish this Love Is series, and we're going to look at how this plays out in the early church. What this actually looks like to, to be living out this mission that Jesus calls them to, to love one another. And we're going to end up in Acts chapter 8, but I just want to start in Acts chapter 1 and kind of give us a lead up to it. So Jesus, we know, here's the storyline, kids. Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, what happens? Kids? He rises again. The resurrection happens. And that's when Acts 1 starts, right at that point. It says for 40 days, Jesus has risen from the dead. It says for 40 days, he spent time speaking to his disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says up to 500 people witnessed the alive, rose from the dead Jesus physically on earth. There was a lot of witnesses. There's a lot of proof for the resurrection. We know that. But in this story, it begins at 40 days, he spent time talking to his disciples. In Acts 1.8, <coughs> Jesus says this. A, a very famous uh, scripture from Acts. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Listen to this. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Right? And to the Jews, to us, we go, we just listed a couple names, and, and it goes from like the town they're in, and it starts to spread outwards. That's interesting, right? If you were a Jew, you would have you would have listened to Jesus said that, and you would have said, What? Samaria? Okay, I get it, Jerusalem and Judea. That's the those are like normal places, but Samaria, those guys, we hate those guys. They did not like the Samaritans. And it goes back as rivalry a thousand years. David was the king in Israel, and then his son was Solomon. He was the king in Israel. And then right after that, a thousand years before Jesus, roughly, we see that the kingdom splits. There was 12 towns, 12 tribes, and this kingdom splits, right? We see, we see two, two tribes stay uh, as the southern kingdom, and then ten leave and become the northern kingdom. And there's a separation already in God's people. And the northern kingdom, do you know what the capital of that kingdom was? Samaria. So if you're from the southern kingdom, which is the people that, the, 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 the Jews in Jerusalem, you would have already thought, like, those are those other guys. That's the northern kingdom. 
right? Those are the Yankees, right? If you're from the South, right? Those are, those are, not, the, those are not us. And then over time, we saw more dissension between the Samaritans. If you remember, they get captured into Babylon, right? They all do. And then they go, and through Nehemiah and Ezra, they rebuild the, they rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. The Samaritans start showing up, and guess what? They said, uh-uh, not you guys. You're not welcome here. And other big tension in world history for the Jews, they don't like the Samaritans, in the, in the, in the, when Jesus walks into Samaria, the, the, the woman at the well goes, why are you even here? Jews don't associate with Samaritan. For Jesus to go, look, I'm going to send you to Samaria, they would have been like, what? But he does tell them that. And I think before the shock wears in, Jesus ascends into heaven, which we might have stolen the glory. Maybe they, they go, okay, I don't know exactly what he's talking about right there. But then Jesus rises and ascends into heaven, and that probably would have been the thing that you would have remembered that day. Right? I think. And he says, Jesus goes, hey, wait in the city. Wait. Now they're just in Jerusalem. They're in one city. There's 120 of them. Just wait here. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, we see 50 days after, uh, after Passover is the Pentecost. That's why it's called Pentecost, 50 days after. That's normal. On Pentecost, Jesus, uh, what Jesus tells them, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, it does. Now, Pentecost, in, 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 in history, in the Jewish history, it's the day when, when, when Israel was basically born. It's, it's the day they celebrate when, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, which represented the, the day that Israel was born. Pentecost is now going to become the day when the church is born. Look at how God works. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. We probably know the story. They start speaking in other languages, and everyone's wowed because they're understanding what they're saying in their own language, which is not normal when, you're, when these guys are like just a bunch of fishermen, right? And they're wowed. Peter gets up and, he's, and, he's, and he gives this sermon and 3,000 people get saved that day. 3,000, like a big harvest, you know, crusade. The first one, 3,000 people get saved. And then we see in the end of Acts 2, we see what the church begins to start to look like. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. So they're spending time together like we're talking about. And awe came upon every soul. Then we get to verse 46. It says, and they... By day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What we're hearing here is that this church is forming. It's now getting bigger. There's at least 3,000, and then daily it's, it's growing. And what are they doing? They're meeting together. They're meeting together in the temple. They get together as a big group in the temple. And they're meeting together in smaller groups as homes. Right? We still do that today. We're here as a bigger group. We're saying go to the community group or get in a triad, get into smaller groups. That's really what they were doing. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they kept growing in the city of Jerusalem. They're just in the city of Jerusalem. We get to Acts chapter 6. We start to see something that we've, we've, we've coined this phrase here at Remembrance Community Church in our leadership. Mo people, mo problems, right? <laughs> mo people, mo problems. When more people come, you start to have more issues, more things go on. But that's okay. What you need to do is you need to raise up more leaders to, to, to do the ministry. And that's exactly what happens in Acts 6. It's getting overwhelming. They need, to, they need to invite more people into leadership. They pick seven guys. Stephen and Philip and five other guys. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is on fuego. He's telling everybody about Jesus and he gets some opposition. They end, up, they end up accusing him, wrongly accusing him, the, the religious leaders that aren't Christians at that time. They end up 
accusing him wrongly of, of, of basically uh, going against Moses when he's not. He's just telling people about Jesus, who Moses pointed to. But they didn't understand that. So they take him out and they kill him. He becomes the martyr. And this would have been a, a crazy thing, right? In, in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen is martyred. And we get to our text for today. All this is just built up so that we can understand these words that we're going to study today. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, you know where we're at in history. It says this, starting in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. What happens is this. Stephen is martyred. All of a sudden, a great persecution comes on the church. It's no longer cool to be a Christian. They're kicking you out of the temple at this point. If, if, your, if your employer wasn't a Christian, if he was a Jew and he found out you're a Christian, you would probably lose your job. If your family found out that you were a Christian, they would disown you. It was a very hostile moment for, for, for these people. It says, and, and when they were scattered, what does that mean? It means they got chased out. Life chased them out. What was going on? Circumstances chase them out of Jerusalem. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, remember he's one of those seven, a buddy of Stephen. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, right? Just like Jesus said. And proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Isn't that an awesome text? Verse Acts 8.8, 8, memorize it. For there was much joy in that city. If you pull out your notes, I want to look at a little bit of context. We'll call this contextual treasures. Some things that we see in the story that help us understand what's going on and how it might be relevant for us personally and as a church. The first thing we see in, in this context, in this story today, in Acts chapter 8, we see that the circumstances were difficult. The circumstances were difficult. How many of you guys have ever thought, if I can just get my whole life you know, together and get my house and get my family in order and get all those things together and then all those things are settled and I wouldn't have to worry about all that stuff and then I could just pour myself into ministry? How many of that's our game plan? But we don't see that here in this story. We see the circumstances are incredibly difficult. If you're a young man like Philip, you have to just put yourself in his shoes. I, I live in Jerusalem. This guy Peter was preaching. I got all excited. I became a Christian. Now I'm excited about being a Christian. I love Jesus. I want to tell everyone about Jesus. And I'm, and I'm hanging out with everybody. I want to learn and I want to grow. I'm going to the temple and I'm going, I'm meeting in someone's home. I'm in a, I'm in a small group. And we're eating together and we're learning. And, 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 they, and they recognize something about me. And they said, you're going to be a deacon now. You're going to, you're going to help serve. They raised me up. And then all of a sudden, my friend Stephen died. And I'm getting chased out of town. What's the first thing that you would do? Forget this thing, right? Forget this. I thought, what are you doing, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? That would be my natural response. I'm out of here. You know what? I'm going to take a break for ministry. I need a little time to myself. I, I, no, but he goes to Samaria with a purpose. Tell them about Jesus. So the circumstances are difficult. The second thing you see in your notes is the city of Samaria was highly unlikely. 
We already talked about that. Samaria was kind of a hated group. It was, was a, this was a cross-cultural uh, endeavor. This is not where you would choose to go. Hey, you can pick anywhere you want to go. Where are you going to go? There's five places. I go Hawaii first. That's number one. Right? And then Colorado. Because I heard it's really nice there. I got a bunch of friends all moving to Tennessee. I'm in. Go there. You know, where are you going to go? Not Samaria. Not Compton. Right? Not, not, I'm telling you, that's like, not, 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 not where it's, not where it's, you've never been and you, your, your parents told you never to go. Right? They went to Samaria. Let us see in the context is they cared for real needs and they shared the gospel. Now, we see in this story, that he comes, he wants to tell people about Jesus. What does he find when he gets there? He, he finds some people who, who, who like, are, are like homeless people who can't function in society. It's the people that we would say they have, they have deep psychological issues or maybe spiritual issues. And we would all say, I, I'm compassionate about that, but I don't know what to do. And he goes to them. And he prays for them. And, and, and they're, getting, they're getting delivered. They're, getting, they're, they're becoming back into their right mind. And, and they're getting freed from that. Now, I don't, I don't pretend to understand the complexities of all of that. I know all of us are probably affected by somebody who, who, who has some things that are going on in their life that you don't understand, and, 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 and it's just hard. You don't know what to do. And, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a situation. We, we, all, we all have named people that we, we, we've come across. I work on the fire department in downtown Santa Ana, like a little chunk of Skid Row. I deal with this all the time on medical aid. And I don't know what to do. But Philip, he has compassion for them. He prays for them, and they get healed. There's people who it says they're paralyzed or they're lame. That means they, either they can't walk or their arms don't work. That's the paralyzed or lame is just a general term here. That means they have some kind of physical dis, uh, disability. He's praying for them and they're getting healed. People are starting to come around and realizing that they're caring. He's telling people about Jesus. And, and, and so the, he cares for the people there is what I'm saying in Samaria. And he shared the gospel. That's the context we see. That's the action he's taking. In letter, in letter D, we see this. What's the result? There was much, much joy in that city. I love that. We're, we're going to be celebrating our three-year our three anniversary on September 9th. Next, next weekend will be the 6th, but that's the closest we got. We've been a church for three years in Lomita. What if our legacy, think about this. What would they say about us as a church? Like, if, we just, if we just stopped being a church, would anyone in this town even notice, recognize, right? But what if our legacy after a season is this? You know what? That church was here, and because they were here, there was much joy in this city. Would that be exciting? I read this blog, and I sent it to our staff and, and our elders. We've kind of been talking about it. It's by a guy, Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. And he talks about four types of churches in a city. The number one type of church that could be in a city is a church that's in the city. A church that's in the city is like the church that usually we say, like, why does that church just, why does they get outside of the walls a little bit, right? It just, it meets in the city. What's, what's your involvement with Lamita? Well, we meet there at Ashland School. We meet in the city. That's a church that's in the city. And then there's some churches that are against the city, right? That's the, the churches that have that, like, us versus them mentality. Right? Like, this is where the good people go, and there's all the dangerous, bad stuff going on out there. It's keep everybody away from the bad stuff. 
against the city. They're, the, they're probably a church that's more known for what they're against than what they're for. Right? And then there's a church that's like the city. If you're a church that's like the city, you're trying way too hard to conform to the city and have everyone like you, but, but you're not conforming to the scriptures. You're not bringing Jesus to the city. You're, you're just, you're just, you just want everyone to, you just want to be normal, right? You want to be cool. You're like the city. And there's one last church. It's a church that's for the city. A church that's for the city. In this blog, there was a couple of, of, of examples. There was one church uh, in Northern California. There was a huge apartment complex fire in, in, in the city. And, 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 the, and the newscaster got out there. There's flames going, right? And, and this church uh, had seen the initial uh, footage on, on TV. And when they got on the phone, they started calling all their church friends from this church in Northern California. Like, let's go down and let's bring water. Let's bring clothes. Let's go pray. Let's go meet people. Let's go help. All of a sudden, the bulk of the church shows up in the neighborhood. And the newscaster at about midnight is going, hey, there's this fire going on. They almost got it contained. And if you want to help, don't go to the Red Cross. Go to such and such church because they're the ones down here helping. <laughs> they brought joy to that city. There's another church in... In, uh, in North Carolina uh, that I read about, it's this church, they, 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 they didn't know what to do. They were a church kind of like us, but they wanted to go from being in the city to for the city. So they went to the school and they asked the principal, what can we do? And she said, well, this school is doing pretty good, but there's a school just one neighborhood over and they're, cu they're cutting all the programs and, the, and, 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 and the, the kids, their grades are low. You go, go there. So they go to the city, they start, they go and they painted some murals just so that the kids would be, have a better experience when they walked in the door. And they started tutoring. They started helping them. Their grades went up. At the end of the year, the, 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 one of the board of supervisors in the school called and said, hey, we have another city uh, that, that, that's it's about 20 miles from you guys. And this is school has the lowest grades anywhere in the state. Can you guys go plant a church there? That's a church... That is for the city, and people recognize that they're for the city. I would say, if I'm honest, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor, so this is on me, we're probably a, mostly a number one church. We meet in the city. But we want to become a church that's for the city. I, I'm not interested in being a part of a church for 20 years that's in the city. But I am excited about being a part of a church. That is for the city, making a difference in the city in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen? So I want to spend the rest of our time looking at what can we learn from this Acts chapter 8, the way that he goes about, what can we learn that would help us become a number four type church for the city? The first thing I see here is this. If we're going to be a number four church that's for the city, we're going to have to understand this, that love moves to action. Love moves to action. Action. Literally, love is a movement. Jesus calls us into a mission and a movement. What do we do? We make disciples, right? We're not. We're not. A, we're, we're being a Christian in Jesus's mind wasn't about just believing, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't about just showing up. It was supposed to be a, a mission where he goes, "You love people like I love you." And, and, and go make disciples, he says at the end of Matthew. He goes, here's your mission. Go make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Help them get started. Help them stay, stay connected. Be in community. Make disciples. 
Love must become an action. Here's some things I see in this, this, this uh, text that maybe might help us take love into action. The first thing is this. This is kind of some principles. People listen when we show we care. People listen. That's what we see. We see he goes there, he shows he cares. He's caring for people who have deep needs. And it says that people were listening. People were listening to Philip. Why were they listening to Philip? There's an old saying, I think it's a Max, it's a John Maxwell, the leadership. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When we care for people and they know that you care for them, they're going to be less defensive. They're going to be more apt to listen. People, one way we can love like Jesus loved is to listen. If you don't think that's true, read through the Gospels again and look at all the times when Jesus interacts with people and he asks them questions and he listens to their story. Jesus was a good listener because he loved people genuinely and they knew that he loved them. And that's why when Jesus says hard truths, when, when the whole world's looking at us and going, why are you judging me? People didn't do that to Jesus. Why? Because he did it differently. He did it in love. And people knew that. The second thing in here, letter B, is this. If we're going to be a people that love, that, where love moves to action, we need to be a people who are praying for the sick and afflicted. When you look at this idea in Acts chapter 8, they go and, they, and, and a lot of miracles happen, right? Now there's people, theologians, who would be on two sides of the fence. They would think, that could still happen today. And there's other people that thought, now that was something that happened in the early church before the church started, but it doesn't really happen like that today. I'm not here to debate that today. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that he cared. He didn't know what to do, and so he went to God, and God did something that he couldn't do. He brought God, he brought Jesus, he brought his faith, and, and, and the people were taken care of. People were freed. What are some ways, maybe, maybe, maybe we can pray for people and they get healed, right? But what are some other ways, just practical ways, that we can help people who have real needs in our city? I think that's kind of the idea. And, and when we find people and we don't know what to do, let's not avoid them, let's literally pray. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't think that, my, my theology and my experience isn't that I can't just walk down the street and I see someone who's, who's, who's afflicted and I, every time I pray for them they get healed. That's not my experience. But I do believe that God can heal. And I do believe that we should pray for people. Are we a church that's praying for people to get healed? What about this? Letter C. Let's seek to serve people's real needs. Ser seek to serve people's real needs. There's real needs in this city. How many of you guys knew that? There's real needs in this city. And so there's plenty of opportunity for us to be a church that's for the city. Number three in your notes as we're moving along is this. Love that moves to action is, is the first kind of uh, application for us. The second one is this. A people that believe that God is big enough to reach any city. If we're going to be a church that's for the city, you know what? We're going to need to have faith like that. To believe that God can reach our city. Philip goes down to Samaria, which most people would say God will avoid that city, right? But Jesus didn't avoid that city. And Philip was, was scattered. He went by circumstances, bad circumstances. He ended up in the city. But what did he do? He told him about Jesus. 
Because he believed that God could work and transform that city. We know that the Samaritans were cross-cultural. That's letter A in your notes. This was an unlikely place. Sometimes where God sends you in life makes no sense. Anyone ever experience that? Sometimes the things that, the circumstances that happen in your life, you couldn't have foreseen them, and, and it makes no sense. Why are you doing this, God? That's Philip's story. Samaria was an unlikely place. Let it be as this. God put us in Lamita on purpose. That's a statement of faith. We're not here by chance because this school lets us be here. We're here because God called us to be here. God put us in this city on purpose. God, why did you put us here? Help us to have eyes to see what you want us to do here. Not to just meet in the church, but to be for the city. Let us see is this. A lot of times people will, they ask me, we talk a lot about let's, 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 let's make a difference in Lomita. And then people are like, are we just in Lomita, right? Like, I don't live in Lomita. You guys live in El Segundo and Torn, like, are you guys just about Lamia? Because I don't live in Lamia. No. Maybe think about this. Who has God put in your path? Who has God, in Lamia, or in, in uh, Remember Community Church, God put us in Lamia. That's our main target as a church when we're, when we're doing service projects. But for you, where has God put you? Right? All of us can have that experience, right? We can say, God has put me... I always say this, whenever I go to the fire department uh, and I show up for work, we, have a, we, we, we start at 8 in the morning and get off at 8 the next morning, and I get to work, and it's been my new ritual. I go, God, I don't know where you, where you want me in three years from now. I don't know if you want me to, to quit there and be a full-time. I don't know the answer to that. But I know where you want me today. I know you want me here in this fire station with those eight guys in there, and on every call that you send us to, I know that's where I'm supposed to be. Help me do that well. Who has God put in your path? Right? Maybe you're not going to go to Haiti. Maybe you're just going to go to your, your, your house. And guess what? You've got neighbors. You go to work. You go, guess, maybe you're going to drive home from work today, and I hope this doesn't happen to you, but maybe your tire's going to pop, and you're going to need to go get a new tire. Guess what? God took you to the tire store. And that's the person that he puts in your, in your path. It's a perspective of, of keeping your eyes open and saying, God, wherever you take me, that's where I'm going to tell people about Jesus. That's where you've sent me. Where is God sending you this season? And then lastly, love must move to action. We need to have faith and believe that God can reach the city. And, and the last one is this. What we see in this story is it's real-life circumstances with, with gospel intentionality. A.K.A., you know what that means? That means, you guys, we can do this. This isn't something for the early church and they had some special circumstances, some special anointing. We can do this. It's ordinary things that we all do. How many of you guys do ordinary things? How many of you guys do some weird things? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but we all do ordinary things. We all have a life. I'm too busy to do that. No, you you have a life. You do things already. I'm not saying you need to go get involved with more programs. And we don't need to have more programs. I'm saying all of us every day come in contact with people. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and God wants to use us. Ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Letter A in, in, in that category is this. Understand that they were in a season of struggle and transition. 
How many of you guys are in a season where maybe you got some struggles? How many of you guys, where you ever have been? How many of you guys are in a, a season where you're in transition? I don't know what's coming up next. I, I just lost my job. I lo- I'm a, I, we got to move. I, uh, things changed. Uh, someone got sick. Uh, we just had a baby, right? There's lots of transitions that happen. You're in transition, or you're going through struggles. But what Philip teaches us, there's no excuses. Now is the time that God wants to use you. And whatever he's brought you in and whatever he's brought you through, he wants to use you. Letter B is this. They had a kingdom-minded purpose. They had kingdom-minded purpose. I believe that this is probably the number one difference between a number one church that just meets in the city and a number four church that meets for the city is you have a kingdom-minded purpose. He wasn't, he wasn't, get this, he wasn't running from Jerusalem. He was walking into Samaria with a purpose. For me, I would have been running from Jerusalem looking for what's next, looking for somewhere to hide, looking for someone to whine to. You need to laugh, right? Anyone else relate to that? He's walking with a purpose to tell them about Jesus. They had a kingdom-minded purpose. They believed the Holy Spirit would lead and use them. That is so big, you guys. Some of you guys in this room, I'm just going to call it out, I'm not going to say maybe some of you. I'm going to tell you, some of you guys have lost that. That God can use you. And wants to use you. That the Holy Spirit can use you. You've kind of just gone, gotten into a mundane uh, routine. Or maybe some of you guys have great war story. Any of you even have great wars? I remember back in Hope Chapel back in the 80s. Hey, Baba, whatever your story is. And I was, you did this. And all these things were happening. What are you doing now? God still wants to use you. He's not done with you. To believe that He wants to use you. If you believe that God wants to use you, your life will transform. If you lived your life like God wants to use us in this city, like everywhere I go is an opportunity, like that, that God can use me, I don't know what to do, but God does. Philip didn't know how to heal people, but God did. He just asked, and God did. We don't have that guarantee that every time He's going to, but we have a guarantee that He's big and can, and that we can do everything that we can we can be faithful and trust Him with the results. How many of you guys believe that God can use you every day? How many of you guys believe that God can take this church and make it for the city? That in 20 years from now, or 30 years from now, our story can be, they showed up in Lamita, they didn't really know what they were doing, they had this guy that was the pastor, I think he's long gone probably by now. Um, I don't even remember his name, he didn't know what he was doing, that was obvious, but, but I know this. <laughs> They brought joy to that city. I'm into that. They brought joy to that city. So here's the deal. I want to be a, I want to bring joy to the city. I want to be used by God. I want us to not just meet. I mean, if you're bored, let me just tell you this. I don't know that this is the Holy Spirit, but it might be. If you're bored and you're a Christian, you need to repent. <laughs> Just say it. Because I don't see a lot of boredom in Acts. And I just think we have the same God. I think God wants to use us. Maybe we just need to, we need to, we need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry I didn't believe. 
sorry I just got caught up into the, the mundane and the comfortable, right? I'm sorry, I, I always said that I wanted to be a part of a church that I got outside of the building, but now that they're calling me to, I realize I didn't really want that, I just was a whiner. <laughs> and here's one last thing before I want the worship team come up, back up. This is not new in the book of Acts. Newsflash. This is not a new principle in the book of Acts. You can go back 700 years to the time when, when Israel's messed up, their, the kingdom has split, and then they're falling away from God, and he says, I'm going to send you off into captivity in Babylon. We see that it actually happens, and then we see when they go into the captivity in Babylon, I would say that that meets all of our criteria. Here, right? That was circumstances were difficult. The city of Babylon was unlikely, but Daniel, he cared. He cared about God. He cared about his integrity. He cared about that city. Look who the prophet Jeremiah gets involved way back then in, in Jeremiah 29, when they're going to go to the, in the, in the captivity. He gives them some instructions. Jeremiah says, this is from the Lord to the people going to captivity. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is verse 4 in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have, who have, who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, build houses. Woo! Is that ordinary? Just build houses. That was his advice. And live in them. Build houses and live in them. Thank you, God, for that instruction. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Those are all ordinary things, right? But then when he says, he goes, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It's the heart of God. For all time, the heart of God for this church, the heart of God for Christians, it's, heart of, it's just God's heart. So we want to be a church that's after God's heart. We're going to get into worship. In application, a couple things. Take this time to respond to what God is saying to you personally. Just believe that the Holy Spirit still alive, comes and speaks to us when we open God's word, and God has been saying something to you, he's been calling you to something, respond to that. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to go get prayer, there's people that want to pray for you, right behind that black thing, go get prayed for. Do not leave here the same. Do not leave here the same. Meet with God. The, the second part is this. You guys might have noticed these tables. That's the awesome part. Respond to God. Here's Kenny's cheesy idea. This is called the love dare. You guys ever, ever, ever been there? I double dog dare you to respond. What this is, don't do it now, but as you guys are leaving, there's four tables. I'd like for you to prayerfully come up and just look at some of these, and they're love dares. You might think, oh, that's cheesy. Well, then pick your own, because this is all... We had a group, this is what we came up with. This one is, help a student you know study for a test and help with their homework. Ordinary thing, right? This one says, deliver a meal to a family, deliver flowers to someone. 
There's about 50 of them. Come up here, grab one or two, and commit to do it the next week just in believing that God can take this ordinary action and, and, and get you on a path out of apathy and boredom and towards living like Jesus wants us to live. Amen? Yes.